welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national women's current affairs program produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. We've been handed down a system that has inbuilt in it a series of assumptions about what a family is, what caring responsibility looks like. I'm the first generation of women in my family to have not just a job for a period of time, but the idea of working for life, not just working for a period of time and then going and having a family, but also the idea of having a career. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past, present and becoming, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. May the 1st is May Day, an important day for workers. This week on the program, we look at women in the workplace and the impacts of COVID-19 on people with caring responsibilities. We speak with Will Strack, one of the Assistant Secretaries at the Victorian Trades Hall Council. But first, let's hear a personal account of someone working from home with two children undertaking remote learning. So I work in local government. I have for quite a number of years. My family situation is I have um, two fairly young children, five and nine-year-old, which equates to prep and year four at school. My husband, unfortunately, was caught up in the airport. He was an airport worker and has since been stood down from that. We have been lucky that he has been able to maintain some other work, but obviously that's a temporary solution to a longer problem. And in terms of where you're at in the moment, what does an average day look like for you and your family in terms of working from home and balancing um, sort of your partner working out of the home and remote learning at the same time? I have been now um, at home with my children for, uh, I think it's approximately six weeks now, kind of lost track of time a little bit, going into my seventh week. And that, in one hand, I'm very grateful that I still have a job and I have a job that I am able to work from home and I have the technology that allows for that to happen but in saying that the challenges I guess are being able to conduct the work from home with with the two kids at home there has obviously been school holidays in that time and obviously with varied work situations with the household it's, it's a bit of a juggle I'd like to say that we're a family that has a routine but that's just not the kind of family that we are um We do, where possible, try and take the reins with the remote learning. That's been, I think we've been in remote learning now for three weeks. Um, But it just, again, it just depends on the situation of work priorities for both of us, what the roster is like. We currently work shift work. Um, So it depends on who's home, what's what's available. I'll try, if possible, to get a couple of hours in early in the morning or lock myself away for a couple of hours. Um, But again, it's just a day-by-day sometimes. It's nice that we can plan a couple of days ahead, but mostly it's a day-by-day what's on the agenda for that day working out. My my nine-year-old is now quite adept in the technology for the remote learning. The issue with him is keeping his emotions in check, I guess, or if it's hard or um, being able to understand sometimes. Obviously, the preppy requires much more attention and... um, it's it's you know it's it's much more hands on with her and because she can't read or, or use the technology to the same ability, so it's a juggle every day and it's just really just getting through it. It sounds like you know a huge amount of change and adaptation for for everyone there. In terms of the nitty gritty of what 
sort of remote learning and trying to work at the same time looks like, for example, especially with your younger child, what what kind of supervision or support do you have to provide? Is it possible for you to do any work while while doing that? Yeah, look, in terms of the work, this is something that I've been really tackling this. Um, obviously, my preppy does need a lot of attention and, and the remote learning, um, regardless of whether the education is that important over the next 10 weeks, the fact of it is we have to find something for them to do anyway, so they might as well be doing their schoolwork. I'm lucky, as a part-time worker, I do have the flexibility to complete my work over a number of days. So some mornings I forgo my morning walk and just get on and jump to do an hour of the urgent things and try and fit around the home schedules. And sometimes the kids just have to fend for themselves and forgo learning that day. Um, But I guess they're little, so there is a limit to their independence. Um, At the start, it was really... um, it really weighed on me, but that just sort of became impossible. I was so tired all the time from the whole isolation thing that working at nights and weekends just became really bad for my mental health. So I've really had to draw a line there. Um, there are exceptions, of course, if there's something that I really want to get done, but generally I try and do as much as I can during the week when I can, or if it's really it's a really impossible week, I just take some leave to try and counteract that. What's the emotional impact of that that sort of situation? Or, I mean, h- how does that impact your attachment to your work or to your parenting? So that's I, um, I read this article recently in an international newspaper about this term that, that's referred to as moral fatigue, and it basically talks about that even though isolation perhaps sees us less busy in our everyday lives, there's a whole moral and emotional toll it takes that every decision and every day there's an emotional toll. So how many times have I been to the supermarket this week? Are the kids coping? Are they fed well? Am I giving work everything I can? Has the dog been walked today? Are we doing enough? Too much exercise? You know, is there an income next week if hubby doesn't have a job? And it's, so it's that kind of stuff that I found really tough and obviously some days are worse than others and I've just had to let some things go and... And I guess the one thing that I've always maintained is that my work needs to be meaningful. And I'm a sort of person that thrives better with the social elements of work. So being at home and not having those social interactions and then not being able to complete the meaningful work that perhaps I was doing um, before isolation is really tough to swallow. And I guess for me, in terms of my career, I've been in quite a unique situation that um, over the summer period, I took long service leave and... There was various reasons for that, but mainly it was my daughter was starting prep. Um, I wanted to settle her in and then she'd be at school and I could really focus on my career moving forward. So I was only back two weeks from long service leave before the working from home directive. And so that's essentially could possibly be sort of, you know, three to five months out of the organisation not really being able to complete that meaningful work. So that's a really big concern for me and something that's been really heightened, I guess. Um, the visibility of me in the organisation, the the worth that you have, um, knowing that you've got a family to take care of and, and really your, your family's emotional needs to get through this is really important and the mental health and your own mental health. But when you come to the other side of that, how does that impact you long term? And it's something that probably weighed on me a little bit before I was um, before the pandemic and that gender inequity, which you know, I know there's been lots of work in it, and organisations are trying really hard, but I think it's always been there. But I think these kind of situations heighten them, and that individual circumstances can really disadvantage you in a workplace, whether it's perceived or real. 
um, I think that that is again an individual response, but I think it does really heighten it, make and bring those questions to light. This is sort of a situation where because the workplace and the home have suddenly been abruptly brought together, people's individual circumstances are suddenly much more significant. Um, I mean, obviously there was a, a big impact before, but they've been really made visible in a way that wasn't yep. quite so n- noticeable previously. I mean, do you feel that um, everyone in your workplace is experiencing working from home in the same way? Um, no, I, I definitely don't think everyone working from home is experiencing the same home and that's um, in the same way and that's where I think the individual response needs a collective discussion around it because I think that there's people that I've got colleagues of mine that are thriving working from home it's their thing they love it it's quiet it's productive for them um, whereas there are other ones whether they've got primary care responsibilities or they live alone, or really, it's just not. It's just not. They the idea of separating yourself from your home. You go to work every day. That's what you do. When you all of a sudden, all those things are melded together, it just doesn't work for people. And I think that that's the really thing that's heightened is that there's so many individual reactions to this, and that some people will thrive and do really well, and others will really struggle. And it, and it doesn't necessarily a reflective on their work pre pre the pandemic. And hopefully not post-pandemic. <laughs> in, in terms of that collective discussion you mentioned, um, what could help support you in this situation or what would that collective discussion look like in ideal terms? Uh, look, it's a really, it's a tough one because I think in some ways my employer has been supportive as they can in the whirlwind situation that we find ourselves in. I do think women have been more disadvantaged in some ways in this situation because a lot of them are doing the more traditional roles perhaps um, and I'm being very generalist here, but there's lots of primary carers. I mean, I have you know people that it's not just about primary care of children, but all of a sudden they're the primary carer for their elderly parents who are affected by this situation as well. So there's many reasons why people are disadvantaged by this situation, especially women. Look, I think it's a really tough one, and I think making those assumptions about your situation is is really unhelpful, and those collective decisions need to be about really saying... I think, well, what, what was our role in all of this? And also making making sure that post-pandemic, that any situation that happened during this is not reflective. Uh, there could be good things that come out of this, such as our way of flexible working, more remote learning. I think those things are always really helpful. But then for it not to become this thing where you creep into people's personal lives, which is, I think, which is what's really happened now, is that, that work and home are one in the same. So I do think, and I think there will be an emotional lag that comes that when we start to go back to work and it starts to be this new normal, I think the emotional lag will will be for a little while and I think that really needs to be recognised and it needs to be making sure that the ones that perhaps struggled or weren't as visible um, during that time, there's a real effort to make them visible again and giving new opportunities. And, And perhaps there's a whole lot of new roles that come out of this or projects that people are really keen on. So I think it's really important to recognise that just because people are not productive doesn't mean they don't want to be. Absolutely. I think everyone has different limitations and experiences and that all needs to be taken into account. So people are able to sort of be brought along together rather than people getting left behind. That, that's exactly right. And, and, and in saying that, I think there's, a, there's a, also a real concern that the people that are able and available are not also overworking um, or doing more than they should be because because of their situation. So I think there's that double-edged sword there that just because my situation is 
um, preventing me from doing the work that I think is meaningful or productive. It doesn't mean that someone has to overcompensate for that because they are available or don't have the same kind of pressures. I think that relationship is really important as well. I think that's a very vivid account of a number of different factors that are probably familiar to to many of our listeners in different different shapes or forms. I, I mean, was there anything that you wanted to add before we wrap up the interview today? No, no. I just I just think that I hope that um, that out of all this, there's a there's a whole shift in the way we think about um, how remote working impacts us. And although there's lots of positives about remote working. I think we've got to be careful that we don't then start to rely on that too much and that becomes the norm as opposed to the as opposed to the the exception but as long as it becomes something that is done as an agreed situation not as a expected on community radio around Australia you're listening to women on the line We're bringing you a discussion on the impacts of COVID-19 on working women and people with caring responsibilities. And you were just listening to a personal account of someone working from home with two children who are undertaking remote learning. Next, we'll hear from Will Strack, an Assistant Secretary at the Victorian Trades Hall Council. So my name's Will and I'm an Assistant Secretary at the Victorian Trades Hall Council, which is the peak body for the union movement here in Victoria. Thanks for joining us today, Will. So... How is COVID-19 impacting women differently from men in the workplace and economically? So there are a number of challenges, I think, particularly for um, women in this. The first is obviously the working from home struggle. So all of the research tells us and um, every woman knows that women these days, they continue to carry the bulk of the kind of caring responsibilities at home. And so when women are, uh, now that we're working from home, that challenge becomes even greater because effectively women are being asked to continue to do their work, their normal work with the challenges of tech and distance and isolation, but also now um, with kids at home, they're effectively being asked to support kids and juggle that out with supporting kids with remote learning. And so they're basically doing now really close to two full-time jobs. So there's their normal work and then there's the kind of caring responsibilities for kids and family and home. So that's one of the things. That juggle is, there's the challenge, I suppose, the other one is for women in terms of being in the workplace. What we know at the moment is lots of the jobs that are out there on which we are relying to kind of get us through this crisis. So um, cleaning, uh, nursing, education, healthcare generally, um, retail work. Lots of those jobs are low-paid jobs and they're dominated by women. So women are carrying a heavy load in terms of in their own homes and then women are also carrying a heavy load in terms of uh, providing the supports that mean that will come through this, um, you know, uh, healthy and um with a, a continuing sense of community. I think that is a very important economic picture, sort of those different impacts across different areas. In terms of the um, the implications of the, the working from home side of things, I mean, what, what implications does the sudden combining of work and home life have in, in gendered terms? Well, well, I mean, one of the things, for example, is that um, women are being asked 
to take their annual leave or long service leave uh, to in order to manage their care and responsibilities rather than employers um, working with uh, women, not all women, but um, rather than employers working with women to accommodate and help them manage those competing interests. So what that means is women are using up their leave entitlements or they're taking unpaid leave when that runs out um, because their employer is not able to uh, work with them to help them to do that juggle, that really difficult juggle of balancing, making sure kids are getting the schoolwork done, um, whilst at the same time trying to do their kind of normal full-time work. Uh, and so what that will mean is women will, will walk out of this at the end with um, a, a lower set of, uh, a lower accrued set of entitlements. The other challenge is obviously that women are in low pay, not all, again, but um, women generally dominate the low-paid uh, areas, so those low-paid areas of the economy, those with insecure work. So, for instance, um, uh, casuals, um, uh, more women are casuals than men. Uh, casuals are the kind of jobs that don't get picked up by some of the job keepers. So if you've been in a casual job for less than 12 months, you don't get covered by the job keeper, which means that, um, obviously, you're not benefiting from that um, stimulus package, so you're more likely not to be getting kind of income. You're more likely to have to fall back to the job seeker. Um, so that's a challenge. And because women are in those lower paid jobs, the other thing is that accessing super, women already have lower super balances, but if you are needing to access your super right now to make it through, that impacts on you long term as well. And as I say, because women are in those low paid roles, the statistics are not out, but I'm going to take a punt and say they'll, um, there'll be a fair proportion of women who are doing that, and uh, those that do will be impacted in the longer term. I think the longer term uh, implications of this situation are are definitely of concern. I, I mean, what options do women or gender diverse people or really any, anyone with increased caring responsibilities have if they feel they're being negatively impacted by these sorts of factors? Well, the challenge is always that, um, unfortunately, our systems are not, uh, they're not flexible. Our workplace laws don't support um, this juggle. It's always been the challenge for, uh, for um, people with caring responsibilities that our systems are not set up to, you know, the, the word flexibility generally is used to mean an employer's flexibility to say, when you do and don't work, as opposed to a worker's flexibility to manage around, you know, looking after kids or, or looking for looking after older parents and that kind of thing. So our system is not set up to support, and we now have this situation where um, it, it, you're not even by choice. It's not even you're not even home by choice. It's because that's what we need to do right now to get through this, and. It's often happened very fast, so people have not necessarily been able to negotiate arrangements around how this should work, and employers aren't necessarily geared up to understand those stresses and to manage that. Um, if you're feeling like um, you're getting, so the first thing we would say is, do not, um, don't, don't take your uh, leave, don't take paid leave if you're struggling to manage that juggle. Um, go and talk to your employer or if you don't feel confident in doing that, 
You know, that's why we're, if you're in your union, pick up the phone and talk to your union about talking to your employer about that, about um, making allowances and accommodating for the situation we are all in. Um, and we also, obviously, everyone's financial situation is different and we understand that people might feel that they need to access their accrued superannuation, but the long-term impact of that, when you're cashing in at a time when the market is not at its peak, the, the impact it will be significant on your long-term balance. And we know that women are already retiring with around 50% of the super um, of men. So, you know, this is going to exacerbate that. So we'd be saying talk to your union if you think that you're being pressured to take leave that you shouldn't be taking. Um, if you're not getting accommodated in this, talk to your union about that. Um, if you're not in your union, then pick up the phone and join your union. Or if you're dominant, if you're not doing that, then um, ring Fair Work or some of those other organisations that can provide you with some industrial advice. And you mentioned legislation before. I mean, on a legislative level, do you feel our current industrial laws are equipped to deal with this situation and also the, the ongoing implications? No, I, I don't think that our system is, is um, geared towards this sort of situation. Um, we, we don't have the... Well, I mean, broadly speaking, our, our laws are not necessarily geared to um, ensuring equality in the workplace generally um, for women or trans and gender diverse folks. So there are already challenges um, there. They're, they're not... Our systems don't... Um, our workplace laws rely on individuals, for example, to make um, to bring claims where they believe that they might have been discriminated against. It's, it's very much the onus rests on you as a person who's experienced something to um, step up and put your hand up, whether it's racism, uh, sexism, misogyny, homophobia, all of those things, transphobia. It, it relies on you to put your hand up and say that, which many people don't feel confident in doing, and it's a very individualistic response. We have laws that say, of course, that employers should be proactive in putting things in place, but the reality is many don't do that unless or until someone puts their hand up and makes a complaint. So we end up with this massive underreporting of the challenges that um, people already experience in workplaces, situations like this, where people feel insecure in their work already because the, you know, the, the economy is taking a massive hit, so much is shut down, they exacerbate that situation. In terms of the, the longer term impacts or changes from from the pandemic situation, I mean, what, what do you think those could be if we do not take the correct course of action here in an industrial sense? Or, I mean, conversely, could this also be an opportunity for positive changes to the, the way we look at the balance between work and home? Well, I hope so. I hope that um, this gives people an appreciation of that juggle, of what that juggle is. Um, I hope that it makes people appreciate how amazing our teachers are as well and our educators um, uh, in terms of the role that they do and the, the turnaround time that they've done in getting remote learning up. I hope that it pushes forward that conversation around the work-life juggle and the fact that the, the systems that we have at the moment, they're just not fit for purpose for the 21st century. That's my, kind of my takeaway from all of this is, um, our systems aren't even geared towards the way that 
the world is in the 21st century and this crisis has revealed that um, in a kind of more stark sense, just with, with the pressure, particularly on, on people who have caring responsibilities at this moment in terms of how they manage to do that whilst at the same time working um, full-time without what we would say the, the, kind of the standard support structures in place like school, like childcare, like um, all of those things just being kind of taken for granted in a sense that those things will be there. They're, they're, they're not clearly in this time and we need to do better at having a conversation about how we make workplaces more supportive of families and and the fact that we we don't live to work, we work to kind of contribute and, and to earn a living, just to earn money, and we need to be better at recognising that people are in community as well as just um, an, an economic unit in a workplace. That was Will Strack, Assistant Secretary at the Victorian Trades Hall Council, speaking about the impact of COVID-19 on women and people with caring responsibilities in the workplace. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the community radio network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. If you'd like more information about today's program or to listen to the show again, you can find what you need on the Women on the Line website, 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time.